In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our study in the first letter of St. Paul to his disciple, Timothy. Today we will study chapter 5. In this chapter, St. Paul is instructing his disciple Timothy how to deal with the different groups in the church. In the first two verses, he gave him a quick instruction how to deal with elderly, young men and women. From verses 3 to 16, he spoke in detail about the widow and also about the ministry of the widow. From 17 to 18, he spoke about the priests. And from 19 to 21, he spoke about how to deal with the sinners when somebody sins. In verse 22, he spoke about ordinations. Verse 23, he spoke about taking care of one's health. And the last two verses about the hidden and manifest sins. The hidden and manifest sins. Let's read the first two verses. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. St. Paul instructing Timothy here as the bishop of the church who has authority not to abuse his authority. So when he deals with older men, he should remember that these men are in the age of his father. So although he is the bishop, but he should deal with older men with respect. Even if he needs to correct them because this is his responsibility as a bishop, he has to uh, respect them and correct them with respect and honor that befits fathers. It is one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. That's why he instructed him, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Yes, you have responsibility to instruct him, to exhort him, but when you exhort him, exhort him as a father. And the same with younger men. Younger men, maybe they are in your age, or maybe they are uh, younger than you. You need to deal with them with respect as brothers. Uh, and here St. Paul is establishing a rule that 
we should respect one another. We should respect the older as our parents. We should respect the younger as our brethren. We should deal with them with love and compassion. And the same rule also apply for women. Older women as mothers, you need to treat them as mothers, as parents. And younger women as sisters with all purity. Here, when he spoke about younger women, uh, the different gender, he emphasizes that with all purity. Uh, Timothy, as a bishop, uh, and he was celibate, and he was young in his age, that's why St. Paul emphasized that when he deals with younger women, he should deal with them with all uh, purity. So this means one must give particular attention to the purity of such relationships because Satan can take advantage of these relationships and he can uh, start uh, tempting uh, uh, the clergy. That's why he emphasized when you deal with younger women and sisters, deal with them with all purity. From verse 3, he starts to speak about uh, widow. He said, honor widows who are really widows. The word honor here means to take care of them as dependents. That's why he said, who are really widow. What does he mean by who are really widow? He meant those who have nobody to take care of them. Those who have no resources. So these widows, uh, the it is the church responsibility to take care of them. I'm sure St. Paul had in his mind the story of our Lord Jesus Christ when he saw this widow at the city of Nain who lost her son and her son was the only one who was taking care of her. That's why the Lord had compassion on her and raised her son in order not to live in need. That's why St. Paul said to Timothy, as a bishop, it is your responsibility to honor, which means to serve their needs with honor and with respect. When you support them, support them with respect, with honor, especially those who are uh, really widow, who have nobody to support them and who do not have any resources. Verse 4, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. So St. Paul here is differentiating between the widow that had no children, no grandchildren, no resources, and called this widow really widow. And the widow 
that has somebody who can support her. Children, granted children. And if, if her children and grandchildren, they refuse to support her, it is the church responsibility to instruct them to have piety in their life, to apply the commandment of God, and to take care of uh, their mother or their grandmother. As we read in James chapter 1 and verse 27, St. James says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So, here St. Paul wants Timothy to instruct the children and the grandchildren to put their religion into practice. Caring for the needs of one family, of one's family, is part of what it means to live the Christian life. You cannot call yourself Christian while you are not taking care of your own family. Unfortunately, we see many conflicts between husband and wives. If the husband wants to support his family, his wife uh, opposes to this. Or if the wife wants to support her family and her parent, uh, her husband may oppose to this. Although the Bible teaches us clearly that we should take care of our parents. Definitely, we need wisdom. We need wisdom in deciding how much we should uh, uh, help them. But St. Paul is giving another reason why we should take care of our parents. He said, uh, repay their parents and to repay their parents. So our parents and grandparents who labored with us until they raised us and made us successful in our life, then when they grow old, it is our responsibility to repay them back for all the effort that they did with us. And actually, there is a third reason that he mentioned later in the same chapter, that they shouldn't burden the church with this responsibility. As long as they can support their parents, they should take this burden from the church. As we read in uh, verse uh, 16, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them uh, relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. So why the person should take care of his parents? Number one, because this is the application of my religion. I cannot say I'm Christian without taking care of my own family. Number two, I repay my parents and my grandparents for their labor and toil with me in raising me up 
and making me a successful person in the society. Number three, I shouldn't burden the church with this responsibility so that the church will take care of those who are really widow and have nobody to support them. And the fourth reason that he said, for this is good and acceptable before God, in verse 4, for this is good and acceptable before God. So if you want to do something that is good and acceptable before God, take care of your own family, take care of your own parents, take care of your own grandparents. If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Verse 5, Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. In verse 5, St. Paul is explaining what is the type of a widow which the church should officially support. He said number one, should be left alone, which means has nobody to support her, has no resources. Number two, she should be living a godly life. She continues in supplications and prayers night and day. This reminds me with Anna the prophetess that we read her story in, in the events of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2 verse 36 and 37. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Ashir. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. So St. Paul here is making a requirement that this widow that is supported by the church should live a godly life. Why? Because she shouldn't take this support and abuse it or spend it in ungodly activities or ungodly uh, pleasures. That's why uh, in verse 6 he said, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. She who, did, who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. So St. Paul here is saying, make sure that the money with which you're going to support uh, a widow should be used for godly purposes. But if this money uh, will be used in ungodly activities, then you need to reconsider your decision. That's why the church officially supports those who are left alone and living a godly life. And St. Paul said, if you are living for yourself, rather than living to serve Christ, you might as well be considered dead as far as God is concerned. Why? Because 
uh, we read in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, that Christ died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That is God's expectation from us. He died on the cross for us. That's why our life should be no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for me and rose again for me. So, St. Paul is saying, the widow being a dependent and receiving support from the church, being alone and not having a job, it is easy for her to spend life in pleasures. And if she is spending her life in pleasure, then she is considered before God as dead while she lives. And here the church should reconsider the decision to support her uh, because we cannot support ungodly activities. Uh, verse 7, And these things command that they may be blameless. These things command that they may, may be blameless. St. Paul here is explaining to us the importance and the value of the spiritual father. In order to live a blameless life, you need to have a spiritual fa uh, father who is instructing you, who is uh, reminding you the commandments of God. So when he reminds you with the commandments of God, you will live your life blameless. That's why he is saying to Timothy as a bishop, these things command that they may be blameless. So part of attaining a blameless life is a function of someone else. I need someone else in my life who is willing to command me and to instruct me. But also, I have to be willing to receive such commandment and instruction and obey them. And that is the blessing of having a spiritual father. So, Timothy has a responsibility to instruct the children and grandchildren to support their parents. Also, to instruct the widow to live a godly life, not to spend her life in pleasure, and thus would be considered as dead before God. Verse 8, again, St. Paul is emphasizing the importance of taking responsibility of one's parents. He said, but if anyone does not provide for his own, for his own family, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So St. Paul basically saying, if you don't support your family, if you don't support your household, if you don't support your parents, actually you are like the unbeliever. As if you denied your faith and you will receive the punishment of the apostate. So 
if we think about this, what is the punishment of the unbeliever? They will not be saved. They will not have place in eternal life. So if I don't take care of my parents, my family, my household, this may hinder my salvation. This may hinder my eternal life. Why? If God is so gracious to me, and He provided for all my needs, that's why in return, I have to be gracious to my family, and I have to support them and to take care of them. But if I neglect the needs of my family, as if I am denying and devaluing God's graciousness to me, to the point or to the extent as if I denied my faith altogether. So this shows us how important for us to take care and to support our own families, whether my family is my wife and my children, or my family is my parents, or my family is my grandparents, I have responsibility to take care of them, otherwise I will be considered as a believer and I will receive the reward and the punishment of apostate who is the person who denied the faith. Then from verse 9, he is switching to another uh, topic related to the widows. In the early church, they used to benefit from all the talents of every group of the people. So there was a rank in the early church called the ecclesiastical widow. The ecclesiastical widow. Those widows were appointed to attend to the needs of the orphans and uh, the women's in the church. And we read about this rank in Acts chapter 9, verse 41, when St. Peter rose uh, Dorgas from uh, the dead. Actually, Dorgas herself was one of this rank. We read in Acts chapter 9, verse 21, then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not sorry verse 41 verse 41 then he gave her his hand and lifted her up and when he had called the saints and widows he presented her alive called the saints and widows the widows here were the ecclesiastical widows who were appointed to serve the orphans and the women. If we read in, 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 in verse 36, the same chapter, at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. Uh, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died when they had uh, washed her, they laid her in the upper room, uh, and then they called for Peter 
to uh, pray for her and he rose her from the dead. Dorcas herself or Tapitha was one of this group or this rank, the ecclesiastical widows. So in verse 9, St. Paul is saying to Timothy, what are the requirements of these widows, the ecclesiastical widows? And actually, these requirements to a great extent are similar to the requirements of the bishops and deacons that we studied uh, two weeks uh, ago. He told him, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. Be taken into the number to be counted among the ecclesiastical widows who are appointed for this ministry. Why this will be explained in verse 11? Why she, should be, she shouldn't be younger than 60 years? He explained this in verse 11. So let's wait until we study verse 11 and we'll explain this. Number two, uh, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Uh, this is very similar to the requirement of the priests and deacons. They have to be married only to one person, one spouse, uh, either in the parallel or in the serial. Uh, the church here emphasizes the importance of uh, one marriage, one marriage especially for her servants, her ministers. The ministers shouldn't be married more than once. It is a simple a symbol of the purity of the heart, symbol of the purity of the heart. Verse 10, were reported for good works. So she should have a good reputation that she is full of good works. We read this about Dorcas uh, in Acts chapter 9, uh, that during her life, she was full of good works. And when she died, actually, all the orphans and the widow uh, presented to St. Peter uh, what she was doing for them and the clothes that she was preparing for them. And this requirement is very similar to the requirement of the bishop and the uh, deacon in chapter 3. If she has brought up children, so as also was said about the bishop and the deacon, that his children are godly children, and this means he was successful in managing his house, his own family. Thus, he will be entrusted to manage the house of God, the church. In the same way, the widow, in order to be qualified to serve as an ecclesiastical widow, she had to, uh, to show that her children will, will grow up uh, in, in the fear of God. Thus, the church can entrust her to take care of the orphans and also to minister to the mothers of the families and to teach them how to uh, take care of their children and to raise up their children. Then, if she has lodged strangers, uh, this is a sign of hospitality and sign of generosity. Service in general needs a, general, a generous heart. 
Because in service you are giving. Unless you have a generous heart, you are willing to give even yourself for others. You cannot serve. That's why uh, has lodged strangers a sign of her hospitality, her generosity, her willingness to give her life for others. If she has washed the saints' feet, you know the Lord Jesus Christ washed the disciples' feet, and he told them, as I washed your feet, go and wash the feet of one another. So this is, uh, uh, reflects her humbleness, her willingness to serve, not to be served. And this is an important requirement in any servant, a humble heart, uh, so that if he is given authority, this authority will not make him fall into pride, but he shouldn't lose his humbleness while he is serving others. If she has relieved the afflicted, relieved the afflicted either by supporting them financially or any uh, other uh, kind of relief, emotional support, uh, helping them uh, in, 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 by giving them instruction uh, how to conduct their life. So she has to, to show the church that she was willing to support and to give her life to the afflicted. Then, if she has diligently followed every good work, diligently followed every good work, this reminds me with what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 25. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you tended to me. So this widow, before being appointed as an ecclesiastical widow, she should uh, show that she has diligently followed every good work. She served the sick, she served the orphans, she served the hungry, she served the needy, she served the poor, she served the prisoners, she served the thirsty. So uh, in every aspect, she is diligently serving and giving herself. So these are the requirements of the ecclesiastical widow. Uh, she shouldn't be above uh, under 60, she should uh, be a wife of one man, she should have a good report uh, and a good reputation, her children should be godly, uh, she has lodged strangers, she has washed the saints' feet uh, in humbleness, she has relieved the afflicted and also diligently followed every good work. And I pray that uh, as in the early church, they uh, benefit from every group of the people. I pray that our church will consider this group. We speak usually about what is the ministry of the women. So I hope that we can start you know, looking for this group and start giving them responsibility in taking care of women, teaching mothers how to raise their children, taking care of orphans. This is, uh, will, will enrich the church with the ministry of uh, these women. And in verse 11, he explains why 
he put the age 60 years old, not under 60. He said, but refuse the younger. Refuse, refuse them from the rule of ecclesiastical widow. Not refuse them from support. He's not here speaking about supporting them. If she is left alone and if she is young, yes, the church should support her. So refuse here, referring, refuse them from the order or the rank of the ecclesiastical widow. Refuse the younger widow. Why? For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. What does it mean to grow wanton against Christ? In service, we will face many hardships. In service, we will face many humiliation. So, some people, when they face such hardships and humiliation in service, they rebel against Christ. So he said, these women, this young widow, when they rebel against Christ, the first thing they will consider is to remarry, is to remarry. And here, St. Paul saying, after you vowed your life to Christ, after you choose Christ as your bridegroom, you cannot, after this, give yourself to marriage. If you want to marry before you are consecrated as a ecclesiastical widow, that's great. But once you vow to your life to this service, to be an ecclesiastical widow, so you cannot rebel against Christ, your bridegroom, and decide to remarry. So he is saying, the younger widow is more tempted to remarry uh, when they grow wanton against Christ. That's why don't expose them, uh, don't appoint them in this order, so that if they wanted to remarry at any point in their life, they will not be breaking vow. But if you accepted them and then they decided to remarry, they are breaking their vow. And if they broke their vow, verse 12, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. So if they broke their vow, they will be condemned. If they broke their vow, they will be condemned. So the desire to remarry after being pledged to Christ and the service of the church, that's what he called the first faith. Being pledged to Christ and service to the, of the church, that is the first faith. So when you desire to remarry after you pledged yourself to the service of Christ and the church, as if you are casting off your first faith. And this will bring condemnation on yourself. Uh, moreover, in verse 13, uh, and besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips 
and busy bodies, saying things which they ought not. So St. Paul is saying here, the ecclesiastical widow, when she chose to pledge herself to Christ, she did this because she saw it is more desirable to commit herself to Christ as her bridegroom. So if she decided to remarry as if she is denying Christ, her first, her bridegroom, and giving this pledge to a husband, to a man. That's why they will have condemnation. He said also, when they rebel against Christ, they didn't only uh, uh, want to marry, but they learned to be idle. Idle means what? To be inactive, doing nothing beneficial. So when they are idle, doing nothing beneficial, what are they going to do? They will still wander from house to house. They will carry the affairs of this house to that house, and that house to this house. They will tell the affairs of all house to everybody. Because now they, are, they don't have nothing to do. They are idle. They are inactive. So they will move from house to house, gossip, and uh, carrying the affairs of this house to the other house. And with gossiping, they will go cause conflict between families. And they may cause separation uh, and, and conflict and divisions in the church. Uh, and also, busybodies means they are curious. They want to know everything about everybody. Uh, and they are like nosy. They want to interfere in the business of everybody. They don't respect the boundaries of each body. And also they will say things which they ought not as Christian, as consecrated people, as people who vowed their life to Christ and the church. So, seeing that younger widow are exposed to such temptation, it is better for them to remarry. It's better for them to remarry. That's why in verse 14 he said, Therefore, I desire that the younger widow marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to adversary to speak reproachfully. So he said here, it is better for them to remarry than to consecrate themselves to Christ and then to rebel against Christ and then to give opportunity, to give a reason for the adversary of the church to reproach the church. But here just I want to say this is a recommendation not a law. He's just making a recommendation. It is better for the younger widow to marry. But if she wants not to remarry and to live a godly life, this is also acceptable. But the church cannot appoint them in the rank of the ecclesiastical widows until they uh, become over 60. Mary, bear children, manage the house. Here St. Paul is saying, when they bear children instead of idle life, instead of idleness, and to manage their house, 
Actually, they are raising people in the fear of God. They are raising their children in the, in the fear of God. This is honorable. And this will make them attain good reputation. Instead of being idle, wandering from house to house, gossip, causing conflicts, busybodies, uh, instead of doing all, all of this, let them marry, bear children, and then manage their house. This is honorable before God. And also by doing this, they will not give any opportunity. They will not give any chance for the adversaries of church, for the adversaries of Christianity, to, to use it against the church for the sake of reproach, to reproach the church. And in, in this, there is a lesson to all of us. Because our loose conduct can give opportunity to the adversaries of the church to attack the church. When they see, when they say, see how the Christians are conducting their life? That's why we should ask ourselves, are we light to the world? Are we soul to the earth? Or because of our loose conduct, that's why we are giving opportunity for the adversaries of the church to use it against the church and to attack the church and to reproach the church. The adversaries of the church are eager to exaggerate the faults of a few people and to lay the blame on the whole church and on its doctrines. That's why we shouldn't give this opportunity to them. Uh, when Nathan the prophet rebuked David, he told him, you give opportunity for the enemies of God uh, to take pride. Uh, he said to David, you made the uh, enemies of God uh, reproach the church and reproach uh, God. And uh, in verse 15, he, he is saying to, to him, what I said about the young women, the young widows, I'm not just making it uh, from my mind. Actually, the fact, if you see how uh, many uh, young widows conducted their life, you will know that what I'm saying is true. That's why he said in verse 15, for some have already turned aside after Satan. So he said to him, what I'm saying, I'm saying from my experience. I'm not just falsely accusing the young widows. What I am saying, I'm saying from an experience. Some widows are already turned aside after Satan and by such errors, and uh, so they are giving occasion of reproach. Then in verse 16, he returns back to uh, what he said about supporting one's family. He said, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, let them support them, and do not let the church be, uh, be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. Taking care of one's family and not letting the church be burdened are very important biblical principles. 
So I can say in this verse, there are three biblical principles. The first principle is, it is our responsibility to take care of our own family. Second principle, we shouldn't let the church be burdened. We shouldn't let the church be burdened. Third principle, the church should support those who are really in need, those who are really widows. Many times, for example, people burden the church. Uh, maybe they have money uh, in Egypt, for example, or they have money uh, in CD. But instead of uh, you know, using this money, they come to the church asking the church to lend them the money. This is putting burden on the church. So St. Paul here is, is asking us to be sensitive, not to burden the church, because the church has responsibility to the support those who are really in need. So if you can take care of your own responsibilities, don't burden the church. Let the, give the church a chance to support those who are really in need. Uh, but some manuscripts, some old manuscripts, didn't in this verse omits the word man. So it reads, if any believing woman has widows, let them relieve them. The word man is not there. And if we how can we understand the verse if it is read this way? If any believing woman has widows. Here, St. Paul is continuing what he was saying about the young widow. So he is saying, this young widow, if she has widow, for example, her mother is widow or her grandmother is also widow, let them relieve them instead of being idle, instead of wandering from place to place, instead of being uh, of gossips, instead of being busybodies, let them relieve their, their mother, her mother or relieve her, uh, her, her grandmother instead of being idle. And thus, verse 16 will be continuation of uh, the verses from verse uh, 9 that spoke about the ecclesiastical widow and uh, to refuse the younger widow. So if the word man is omitted from this verse, this means it is a continuation to the uh, topic of uh, ecclesiastical widow. If the word man uh, is here, then it is going back to what he said in verse 8. But this will cha not change the, the meaning anyway if the word man is there or not. From verse 17, uh, St. Paul starts to speak about priests. Uh, let the elders, the elders here are the presbyter, priest. Uh, when you read the Greek uh, origin, uh, original text, uh, the original text, it is presbyterus. Uh, but here it's translated elders. The, the correct translation is uh, presbyter or priest. Let the elders, the priests, who rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. 
Rule well means what? One of the function of the priest is to manage the affairs of the church. So when they manage the affair of the church with wisdom, with ability, with loving faithfulness, then let them be counted worthy of double honor. That's why the church, uh, in the rank of the priesthood, there are two degrees. The degree of the priest and the degree of the hegumen. Hegumen means uh, like manager, uh, the person who is managing. So the priest is tested how he rules the church. And if he is proved that he rules the church well with wisdom, ability, and loving faithfulness, then he has to be honored. And this honor comes uh, in, in promoting him to the rank or to the degree of hegumen. And here St. Paul establishing a very important principle, which is the principle of reward. Principle of reward. Although all of us who are serving, who are looking for the heavenly reward, not for the earthly reward, but the leaders of the church should reward the servants because reward will motivate the person to function better and to be more dedicated and more committed. So if you are in a place of responsibility, remember all the time to reward those who are conducting themselves right and they are ruling well because everybody needs motivation. That's why St. Paul said to Timothy, here as a bishop, let the elders, the priests who rule well, be counted worthy of double uh, reward. Double reward or double honor doesn't mean literally uh, double, but it means a large uh, honor or large uh, reward. So be doubled, honored, promoted, rewarded, and distinguished from the rest. And that's why we distinguish those who uh, serve God with faithfulness from those who don't serve God with the same faithfulness and uh, commitment. And he said, but you need to pay special attention to those who labor in the word and doctrine. The church should pay special honor to those who labor in teaching and preaching the word of God. Labor in the word means in preaching the word of God and in doctrine in teaching the word of God. Because that is the main function of the priest is to teach and to preach the word of God. Because many times the priests are involved with many activities, uh, many administrative activities uh, that take them away from teaching and preaching the word of God. And the church was very uh, cautious about this distraction. That's why in Acts chapter 6, the disciples said, it is not right that we leave the word of God and serve tables. That's why they made an order, the order of deacons, in order to, to be in charge of the administrative af uh, affairs of the church. 
And this will give opportunity to the priests to dedicate their life completely to preaching and teaching the word of God. And here St. Paul is emphasizing this principle. And again, unfortunately, this rank, the rank of the full deacon, who is in charge of the administrative affairs of the church, unfortunately disappeared from our church. And I pray that this rank will return again because our priests now are taking care of the spiritual affair and also the administrative affair. I hope that in the very soon future that we, we can have full deacons who can dedicate themselves to the administrative affairs of the church so that the priest will dedicate their ministry completely to the preaching and teaching of the word of God without any distraction with the administration of uh, the church. And that's what St. Paul is emphasizing here, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it trades out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. The first verse, you shall not muzzle an ox while it trades out the grain, uh, it's taken from Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4. But the second verse, which is the laborer is worthy of his wages, is taken from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Which means what? Means at the time in which St. Paul wrote his letter to Timothy, the gospel of St. Luke was already circulating among the churches, or between the churches. And St. Paul acknowledged the gospel of St. Luke as an inspired text. That's why he referred to it as scripture. So when St. Paul said, the scripture says, he is referring not only to the verse from Deuteronomy, but also to the verse from the Gospel of St. Luke. Which means St. Paul here is saying that the Gospel of St. Luke is inspired, uh, and it is an inspired text, uh, and that's why he called it scripture. So this is like a canonization of the Gospel of St. Luke. So what is St. Paul is trying to say in verse 18? St. Paul say, he who labors in the church is worthy of his uh, wage, worthy of his reward. The laborer is worthy of his wages. So it is his right to get paid for doing so. How much more those who rule well, those who do this with faithfulness, those who do this with, while sacrificing their life, then those people should be uh, considered for double honor, double reward. If it is their right to get rewarded for this, then those who rule well have the right to be double honored and double rewarded. From verse 19, he starts to tell him how to deal with the sinner, those who sins, especially among the priests. If any priest 
uh, did something wrong, how you deal with him. So in verse 19 he said, do not receive an accusation against an elder. Against an elder means against a priest, except from two or three witnesses. The priest as a public figure, usually all the public figures are uh, uh, most exposed to false accusation. And the priest as a public figure is also exposed to false accusation. So St. Paul is telling him, don't accept, don't give your ear to any accusation against a priest except if it comes from two or three witnesses. Here St. Paul is following the rule that was established in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 6 and in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 19 verse 15 that in order for anyone to be convicted, the testimony of at least two or three witnesses are required, is required. So if any regular person, I cannot convict him unless with the testimony of two or three persons, then uh, for the priest, I should not give my ear to any false accusation except if it comes from two or three witnesses. Uh, this verse 19 implies what? Implies that Timothy, as a bishop, has the power of judging in the church. That's why he's telling him, do not receive an accusation, which means Timothy, as a bishop, has the power to judge in the church, to judge the sinners, uh, even among the priests. Uh, in verse 20, he said, those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all. Those who are sinning, whether priests or laymen. So now he is generalizing. Uh, those who are sinning, whether priests or uh, laymen, rebuke in the presence of all. Which means, rebuke them publicly. Rebuke them publicly. And St. Paul did so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 to verse 13, when he rebuked publicly the person who sent in the church of Corinth. Why? He said that the rest also may fear. When you rebuke the sinner publicly, the other members of the church will have fear in their heart. And this fear, it's not fear uh, to scare them, but it is the fear to protect them from breaking the commandment of God and from sinning against God. When we read about this fear in Acts chapter 5, verse 11, when Hananiah and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and then St. Peter rebuked them publicly, we read in verse 11, So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. This fear protected them from uh, uh, breaking the commandment or violating the commandment of God. And as we read in, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17, after they have been rebuked 
publicly. If the rebuke is disregarded, the next step is excommunication. So first, he, he cannot just jump into excommunication. First, he has to rebuke them publicly. If they listen to the church, then this uh, acceptable. If they did not listen to the church, then they have to be excommunicated from the church. Verse 21. After uh, St. Paul instructed Timothy how to judge the sinners, let me tell you this. The responsibility of judging is a huge responsibility because the bishop as any human being can be tempted with prejudice or partiality. That's why after instructing Timothy how to judge uh, the sinners, whether from among the priests or the laymen, and after assigning him this responsibility, he reminded Timothy that he himself will stand before the throne of God. He will be judged before the throne of God. Keeping in mind that I will be judged before the throne of God, this will make the fear of God in my heart, so when I make judgment, I will not making it with prejudice or with partiality. That's why he told him, I charge you, I charge you, I command you, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. So he's giving him this charge, this commandment, before God, before Jesus Christ, before the elect angels. Because in the last day we'll be standing before the throne of God, before our Lord Jesus Christ, surrounded by all the elect angels. Who are the elect angels? The elect angels are the, he distinguished them from the fallen angels. Those who are the objects of the divine love, those who are worthy of honor, those who are participating in our affairs and in the affairs of the church, as St. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 1, that the angels are ministers to us for salvation. That's why he said, now I am commanding you before the angels, because the angels are participating in the affairs of the church. So these are your witnesses, God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the elect angels. I charge you to observe these things, to observe what I told you about. Don't receive any accusation except from two or three witnesses. Don't be lenient with those who are sinning. You need to take a strong stand and you need to rebuke them before everybody. So you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. These things are the commandments in verse 19 and 20. Prejudice, which means preferring one before another. Prejudice, preferring one before another. Partiality, when I favor a person, a man over another person. So now he is reminding him he will stand before the throne of God. That's why he need to do so, to exercise his authority in judging 
without partiality or without prejudice. Verse uh, 22 is about ordinations. He told him, don't lay hands, lay hands for ordination. Don't lay hands on anyone hastily, quickly. You need to be sure that this candidate uh, fulfills and meets all the requirements of his calling. So don't lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. So, if the bishop laid his hand hastily, and the candidate was ungodly, the bishop is participating in his sins, and he will be responsible for his sins. Because when ordaining ungodly person as a priest or as a deacon, he actually causing offense to the church of God. And thus the, 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 the bishop is participating in this sin and causing offense. So in order to guard against the scandals occurring in the clergy, to be cautious as to character of the candidate before ordaining him. But if you as a bishop ordain an ungodly candidate, you are sharing in his sins and also defiling your purity. That's why he told him, keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. So ordaining ungodly person will, defiles, will defile the purity of the bishop before God. It is big responsibility. It's big responsibility. That's why it needs a lot of prayers from the bishop and from the flock so that before any ordination, it will be according to the will of God and according to his good pleasure. Don't share in other people's sin. Don't partake in other men's sins by not rebuking the, that sin before all. So we understand don't share in other people's sins in two ways. Number one, when you ordain ungodly candidate, you are participating in his sins. Number two, if you don't rebuke sins publicly in order to bring fear and in order to protect people from uh, violating the commandment of God, so as if you approved their sins, and thus you are sharing and participating in their sins. Verse 23, uh, Timothy was sick in his stomach, but in the same time he was watching strict asceticism. He was watching strict asceticism. That's why he told him, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. St. Paul is reminding him to take care of his health. Our health is a gift from God. And we as stewards, we should take care of this gift. When we take care of our health, we can serve God faithfully. So St. Paul is telling him, if you observe it, you restrict asceticism, and your health is getting weak and weak, and your infirmities multiplied, you will not be able to serve God. That's why if you need to drink wine for your health, you can do this, but drink little wine, because the bishop shouldn't be given 
too much wine, as he said in, in verse, uh, in chapter 3. So no longer drink only water, because Timothy was drinking only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake. So he instructed him to drink wine to strengthen him, but he emphasized that this should be little. Then he spoke to him about, in verse 22, don't share in other people's sins. What if there is a sin that is hidden from me? And I ordained this person, and then I discovered that this person is ungodly. What if there is a sin that I am not aware of as a bishop, and I didn't rebuke it publicly? Am I going to be held accountable before God for these sins? What if, what if there are some good works that have to be rewarded publicly? Because he told him, honor those who rule well. But if I didn't know these good works, is God going to be uh, 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 disappointed with me because I did not reward these good works? He's answering all these questions that I'm sure hit the, the conscience of Timothy. So he answered this question in verse 24 and 25. He told him, Some men's sin are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. So you as a bishop, responsible for these evident sins, these sins that are manifest to everybody. So if you ordain somebody, while you know his sins that are manifest and evident, you are defining your purity, you are also uh, sharing in, uh, in, in the sins of others. But those of some men follow later. There are sins that are hidden, hidden here in our uh, life on earth, but they will be revealed in the last day. You as a bishop, not responsible for these things, because you don't know them, they are hidden. These sins will follow them later in the judgment day. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident. So if you are aware of these good works as a bishop, you have to honor those who rule well. And if you didn't do this, then you are not doing uh, the commandment of God. But, and those that are otherwise, that are hidden, not manifest, cannot be hidden, cannot be hidden in the last day. So they will be revealed in the last day, and God will reward them before everybody. So these two verses were to uh, clarify the conscience of Timothy about what should I do regarding the hidden sins or regarding the uh, hidden good works. So it's telling him you are responsible only for the sins that are manifest and for the good works that are clear. But those who are hidden, they will be punished or rewarded in the last day before everybody in the judgment day. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.